Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Red K. Elders, a magical artist based on the Norfolk coast of England, who sketches powerful portraits of old gods and mythical beings. This bonus episode explores her recent work in bringing forth a depiction of Dionysus, the god of fertility, grapes, and wine, of ritual madness and religious ecstasy. Red was kind enough to send me a copy of this portrait, who currently hangs on the wall in my office. In our conversation today, we discuss her journey as an artist and the power of creating ritual space for courting the otherworld, along with practical guidance for developing a living relationship with the mythical creatures in our midst. Before you listen, I highly recommend you take a look at the Dionysus portrait, which I've linked in the show notes, along with more of her incredible work. And now... Enjoy my conversation with Red K. Elders. We begin with the reading of a hymn to Dionysus. Zagreus, Sebasius, Dionysus, Zagreus, Sebasius, Zagreus, Zag, Sab, Dio. O climbing vine, O hidden sign, O python coiled in a cave, passion, slave, and master, O author of the welcome disaster, welcome, everlasting killer of the black goat, you who float at the outer edge of reason and desire, you whose immortal grandfather was his sire, Eoe saboi, O agrios theoi, Wild one of the woods running loose, love child of Persephone and Zeus, by Hera hated and hunted by the Titan kin, who pursued you through the forms of bee and boar and bull, till cornered as a bull you were dismembered in great agony. But then your father from the still hot ashes pulled your beating heart and placed it in a secret womb to start again. O friend of drunks and dreamers, fighters, fugitives, and pythons coiled in caves, of passion slaves and masters, O welcome disaster, come. I call you to this place, and picturing your radiant face, I lift this brimming cup. Eoe saboi Dionysus. Agrios, Bromios, Chthonios, wild roarer underneath, I bind you by the name of Uanius, you for whom the wine press bleeds. O you, O boundless bleeder, whose wine dark blood sanctifies the theatre where the gods themselves enthrone, welcome home. Drinking God, whose cup increases thirst, welcome home. Life loving God, who was killed at birth, welcome home. Weeping God, whose laughter brings rebirth. Eoe saboi Dionysus. Agrios, Bromios, Chthonios, wild roarer underneath, I bind you by the name of Lieos, you who drowns the unmet need in wine, O brother mine, lover of the labyrinth girl who swept the bones from off the path, pale python fathered by his grandfather, sired by fire and mothered by death, thrice-born bull, born of the earth, filled equally with laughter and with wrath. To you I cry, Eoe saboi Dionysus. Agrios, Bromios, Chthonios, wild roarer underneath, 
I bind you by the name of Mistes, you whose mysteries are deep. O vine brother, wine bleeder, life singer, drum beater, inventor of the dance ecstatic, herald of necessary havoc, you whose rhythms wake us to the moment, taming for an instant time. As snakes swallow snakes, so the noise your revels make quiet the unquiet mind. O brother mine, behold your sister, longing for a touch of vines. And so I cry, Eoe Saboi, Dionysus, Agrios, Romeos, Cthonios, wild aurora underneath, I bind you by the name of Erecryptos, you whose rights no sane one sees, so see me standing at your threshold, boldly calling for the man, bull, snake. Bathe me with your blessed blood, fill the void that hunger makes. O striker of the goatskin drum, O splitter of the altar stone, O bringer of oblivion. Behold this stone and empty cup, come quickly to this empty cup, I bind you to this empty cup, flow through it like a wound in flood. Your laughter is leaves, your blood is fire, you now do I devour entire. I am red, I am not red, I am Dionysus. I am not Dionysus, I am red, Dionysus, red, the thrice-born bull who rises from the fiery grave, passion's slave and master, immortal son of the sacred disaster, hear me, earth, all I ask for, I receive, Eoe Saboy, Dionysus, Zagreus, Sabazius, Dionysus, Zagreus, Sabazius. Zagreus, Zag, Sab, Dio, O, Eoe, Eoe, Eoe. Wow. Welcome, Red K. Elders. <laughs> Hi. That's a powerful invocation. <laughs> Thank you. Would you speak a little of where those words come from? Yes, so um, that is a hymn to Dionysus, which was beautifully written from the heart of Jack Grail, and it's in his book, The Hecatean. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's a very powerful piece, right? <laughs> I love that we began this uh, conversation with this with this invocation, with this calling in of Dionysus, and it seems to be the the thread that has called us together to to wonder mm. about this. And um, I'll just say I'm excited to have you here for a number of reasons, um, one of which I've been drawn to your work for some time, which um, perhaps has taken many forms over the years, but I understand a kind of a mythic, uh, re- I don't know, representation isn't, isn't even the right word, but some kind of, Perhaps you'd be better at explaining exactly it is what you do, but there's a there's a particular piece that drew me to have this conversation of of Dionysus, which I found arrestingly powerful, and this is the topic we'll be speaking of, I think today. But I'd love for the listener to, before we really dive in there, to have a little more of one of uh, where you are right now and um, what is it you know that has taken your life into its into its grip into its 
richness because it seems like you're deeply at its service. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of been um, seized with all of this lately. So, um, so in, on a on a kind of prosaic note, where I am is I'm in the um, north coast of Norfolk in England, um, which is a very quiet, sleepy, rural countryside kind of place, very conservative, you know, um, but has some beautiful wild spaces and coastline and salt marshes that I spend quite a lot of time out and with. Um, right now it's just turned dark, so, you know, um, the daylight's gone and we're in darkness here already. And, yeah, it's um, my fire's lit, autumn's here, so all the fires are blazing and we're ready to go. And, um, yeah, with, with work... Yeah, I'm I'm really gripped at the moment by these drawings that are coming of ancient gods and mythic beings is how I describe them. Um, and um, it feels like something that I gave some devotion to and some attention to um, kind of out of necessity, really, due to the pandemic and losing my other work. Um, and just through that repeated devotion and repeated giving of my energies and time and my urgency to it all um now i seem to have been completely sucked in and <laughs> stolen away by the very gods that i'm trying to uh depict in some ways um yeah <laughs> mm. i would love to hear a little about the um i mean the journey of your work i understand that you you did portrait photography in the past which had you know its own exploration of of the mythic and and this is to me is what's fascinating is you know i I read a quote from a other recent interview you said i was fascinated with the magical and telekinetic powers of adolescent girls and latent gods in men uh and i'd assemble a team of highly skilled stylists and assistants and create an entire shoot made darkly lit portraits in sacred spaces such as disused masonic temples of which maybe they're just hanging around ready to be uh, reused. Um, you knew, right? You knew they're just there. <laughs> you said uh, it was a lot like ritual, really. I was trying to draw forth the hidden myth beings laying dormant in the heart of my subjects, and that's that's something that really fascinates me as well. That that what is that? Wh what do you understand that to be? The hidden myth beings that lie within your subjects. Mm. So, yeah, I guess I have a sense that you know we've all got something, some great some greatness hidden within ourselves and you know a lot of people spend a lot of time and energy actually hiding that away from the world um and what i was finding when i was doing some just regular portrait photography with people was this sense of as we were working together and as we were relating together it the, the portrait sessions almost became like a therapeutic session in a way you know and i realized that you know, being able to speak to people and being able to listen to them and um, understand where they were was revealing something more about them as we went on. Um, and that became quite fascinating to me. So I became more interested in consciously working with that, like what, you know, what is that hidden part of them that is, you know, is it ready to come out? Is it ready to be seen? Can I get a glimpse of it? Um, but then also in that, in that, in that process, having a sense of also there being something more, like not just 
something hidden about them, but something bigger than them that was also hidden in them that you know maybe they weren't even aware of. Um, so I'd, I'd very much like I do now, I'd see, I'd see this person and I'd make an ordinary picture of them, but then I'd see so much more about them. Like I'd see them as some kind of wild god or some, you know, um, some warrior priestess or something like that. And I'd want to, I'd kind of speak to them about it. Like, Hey, you know, I'm seeing something else here. I'm seeing something more. Are you willing to explore that and play with it? And, and, um, and, you know, they were very gracious with me quite often. They, they were keen to play and explore more with it so yeah mm. and what was the link or the leap then between between the photography and then into i understand primarily now you use sketching is if that's yeah. the, i mean i know you also use different materials gold foil i think in other ways of mm. adornment um but yeah i would love to know <clears throat> how that transition happened well there have been like huge gaps in my in this kind of you know visual creative work in my life for various reasons, being taken in other directions by other things, you know, most notably perhaps having children, which took me away from doing any kind of visual creative work for quite a while. And at that time when I was doing photography, I was living in the centre of London. I was living a very different life, running my own design business and, you know, having a very different way. And then that all ended. I decided I had enough of that and I needed to go and live in the woods, which I did. So when I made that break and left the city and left that behind, I went to be in the woods and kind of just let go of everything, really. So during that time, that was my first period of drawing, really, I think. Um, I stopped taking photographs. I stopped seeing the world through through a lens. I wanted to kind of really experience it fully without that screen in the way, without that, yeah, without that sort of small square. I was All of my senses were opening up after leaving the city, and I wanted that to be reflected elsewhere. And it was really powerful to, to leave the city and to feel, after being there for 10 years, to feel all my senses like exploding online again and to have that awareness coming into me and feeling into more of the subtle essences of things. And that's what I started drawing more from and with at that time. Mm. You know, you mentioned the forest there, and there's another line from the recent interview where you said, uh, it's a strange thing, this deep eros, I feel, with the wild places in the land. And I'll just say, you know, in my inquiry um, through different realms, but also through a community in Portugal called Tamera, of which I've spent a few years and, and, you know, I'm currently in the process of editing the film still of that. Uh, But they also really uh, venerate Eros and they understand it to be not human centric in its origin. And I'm curious, just I love when I hear that word with other people use it in different contexts. I love to hear what they how they understand that word to me in order to, to be present um, and how they attune to it, how they express it. And I'd love to hear you speak on that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of like feeling that in the land, I think because I'd done something quite extreme in, in kind of removing myself from, from very busy culture and society and, and being in this place where it was literally just me in the woods where I was for like two years, really, I didn't really see that many people. So my only contact with living world was with plants and trees and animals and creatures and tiny microscopic beings and I really missed that physical somatic connection with people which is actually then why I started doing a lot more um, training in body work I started to learn to do um, body psychotherapy at that point um, and training that whole methodology partly just so I could touch people you know (laughs) I was missing touching people 
But then I'd go out on these walks and explorations and I'd feel that sense of needing touch or needing to touch was being met through the landscape, through creatures, through these tiny interactions with things. Um, and that really fascinated me. And I think the more I opened to it, the more I was curious about it, the more it was kind of coming to me. So in, in a way, the, the land and the space and the earth sort of became my lover during that time. Um, and it was such an extraordinary and um, exquisite experience, I suppose, that I just kept on opening to it more and more and more. <laughs> mm. And then how does the, how, maybe this is one way to say it, you know, I had a friend one time, we were talking about myth and, and you know, archetypes and gods. And, and there was something that she said that was, it was sort of challenging me to, this idea of what was real, right? She's like, well, that stuff, you know, it's not really real, whereas people are real. And, you know, I'm really with this question often that when I, when I really allow myself to sort of soften the, the, the certainty that there's something about what lives through us, right? What are humans the medium for? Or, or in this case, you know, you're, you're looking at these people and your subjects and then you're seeing other uh, layers right of them but it's also beyond them and and there's something in your ability that you've developed now that i fa i'm fascinated by and i would love to know how that process works for you in terms of i understand again because you do work with direct subjects um I, I think either all the time or largely and i've seen some of the photos like the originals and then the sketches that you make from them and i would just love to know how you work with and and the relationship between those realms yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes in just quite sudden flashes of vision, I think. You know, I'll see an ordinary photo or an ordinary person, sometimes just doing ordinary things, but I don't know, I have a very just sudden, quick image of a whole other thing. Um, and it comes very quickly. And that's quite often when I'll kind of go to my sketchbook and sketch the thing that I just saw. Um, so it's quite often inspired that way. Um, you know, I'll see, I'll see a person and then see more. Other times, um, I have those kind of visions more in dreams. And actually, when I was thinking back to the, to how the Dionysus drawing came about, that actually started in a dream. I had a whole dream sequence that initiated that Dionysus drawing, which then set me looking for, looking for the kind of model, because by that time, my drawings were becoming much more detailed and more, um, precise and accurate and I, I really needed to work with real models just to see you know how does it actually look the tiny pores on somebody's skin or that kind of thing um, so it was actually a dream that came to me first about Dionysus which then alerted me that Dionysus was around and I perhaps should find a model for this Dionysus mm. you know you reminded me as well the the listener may or may not have, you know, some knowledge of Dionysus and it might be helpful to offer. I mean, I can share a little of my own inquiry into this, um, this being. And I'd also recommend the listener go back and listen to the previous episode that was just released with Sophie Strand, which is called Rewilding the Fungal Gods. And in that, we, uh, Sophie also speaks to, again, her take and her inquiry into understanding Dionysus, um, which she calls, who has been the subject of a major slander campaign for many centuries now, um, for essentially uh, embodying what has become a kind of cliche of, you know, the, I don't know, wild 
you know, irrepressible partier um, addict, like sort of, um, I think of Jim Morrison, you know, in a, in, or the, the rock stars, you know, trashing the hotel room, this kind of Dionysian, you know, energy, right? This, this is sort of wild and controllable as a contrast to uh, the Ap- Apollo or Apollonian, you know, sort of rational, um, organized masculine principles of which civilization itself seems to be much more interested in, right? And in some ways than the, this kind of other f- force, which can feel often chaotic. And I've been tracing, I feel with the Mythic Masculine podcast, um, this link, I believe, between Robert Bly and he talks in Iron John about the wild man, right? There's this, uh, yeah, this, this call or this desire to reconnect with this wild man, this sort of, this sort of undomesticated primordial being at the deep uh, heart of masculinity is, is how he, he speaks about it. And in many ways, it launched the uh, mythopoetic men's movement, right? This deep inquiry for the, for the wild man. And what I've come to understand, I think now with some further, in, you know, inquiry and conversations is a sense that, you know, the wild man as a counterpart to the domesticated man doesn't feel quite um, real. Like it feels reactionary in that way, right? The the, the wild is this sort of, you know, again, a, a, a shaggy, beastly figure, right? And yet I actually think that there's a more refined uh, archetypal being there, which to me is actually the Dionysian being. And so for me, in some ways, like this has become a major focal point of, of study and, and practice for me to approach. And so to see your piece that you've done, which again, I find arrestingly beautiful is, is such a gift. Um, and so I'm love to know how, how this being came to you, you said in a dream and then how it unfolded to actually to, to be in service to depiction or, uh, right. His incarnation, in this world now and what that means for you. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's funny with the drawings when they come because, you know, I don't really know that much about all of these gods and goddesses too. So it's I'm, I'm on this process of learning and journeying with them as I go. And actually your previous episode with Sophie was great because I learned a whole load about Dionysus, which I didn't know about. So thank you for that. Um, and what I find really interesting through the drawing process is that I'm kind of learning something that I hadn't maybe noticed about them or that wasn't the popular view of them as the drawings coming through. So, um, and things come in, you know, I kind of have had these um, visions of aspects to them in the drawings that kind of don't sit right with what I've heard about them. So, so one example might be this drawing I saw, he had, he has horns. And, you know, when I look at the traditional pictures of Dionysus, he doesn't have horns. It's not necessarily, you know, it is mentioned sometimes he's horned, but not it's not one of his major um, features, really. And so I was kind of querying this vision, like, you know, does he have horns? Does he not? Like, and kind of sitting with it. Shall I draw him with horns? I don't know. And I was I took this question out into a walk um, to one of my spaces that I go to. And I was just really musing over, like, shall I? Shall I not have him with horns? I don't know. My kind of ego was trying to create the drawing, perhaps, rather than just go with what I'd seen or trust the process. And as I was thinking this question, as it was going over in my mind, I I was stopped in my tracks and looked up and there was this huge highland cow standing right in front of me that just like appeared out of nowhere, like a real actual highland cow, (laughs) this huge shaggy beast with the most enormous, beautiful set of horns that I'd seen. And it was just quietly, peacefully chewing the grass and looking at me. And so I thought, okay, he has horns, then <laughs> I have to include the horns. 
And then in the actual drawing itself, as it was unfolding, um, and I'm exploring, you know, who is who is this Dionysus? Because obviously it could be any depiction of him. He could be doing anything, but this particular one that's coming, who is this one and what is this one saying? And as I was drawing with him and spending all this time, I really had this sense of um, a tenderness about him that isn't maybe mentioned so much or isn't, you know, his uh, famous attributes. But I had a sense of his, his, you know, his beautiful, proud, gorgeous, bodied figure. He's wild. He's there with his grapes and his vines. But there's also this kind of vulnerability to him, I feel, as well. He's leaning into his thyrsus. He's kind of feeling into that support from something else himself. Um, and I was really touched by that in the drawing of it, that there was something more to him than I'd thought about or I'd contemplated, really. And it was this, yeah, this this human, it's human, it's human contact, I suppose, that I felt with him. Hmm. That's interesting. You say the yeah, the the tone, because to me as well, and um, again, the the listener, there'll be a link in the show notes as well for you to to see this piece and. Um, for me, what strikes is you're right. There's this, there's an erotic element to it, absolutely, and yet there's this vulnerability, as you say. And you know, I, I do feel there is some Kurt Cobainish kind of uh, element there, um, which again, I mean, it could be part of the likeness. But maybe, I don't know how you chose the 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 man to to, to be the the frame for it, but that there is some kind of uh it's a, it's a sort of a sorrow but it's not it's not like a set like a sadness I, I like a heaviness i'd say but yeah like a a sort of grief which um doesn't cancel out the the you know the the lusciousness of the the wine and the the fruits you know but it's like it's present there and that interweaving or that intermingling to me is part of what makes the piece so powerful that in some ways i feel like it's a, it's like the weariness of a god who hasn't really been understood in a long time Right, that that whole sense of the slander campaign against him, and you know, in a in a time when often um, a culture it really commodifies uh, or um, creates spectacle, right? Um, and safety, like all these elements around. Okay, entertainment. This is this is the safe entertainment for you. Uh, whereas the the actual role of like deep ritual, deep ecstasy in ritual spaces too, especially, has largely been. Uh, lost to to modern culture and in the deep medicine actually that that is at a time when again going back to this connection to eros that that the eros of the land that 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 how vital that connection actually um has to be in order to renew itself you know i think both with the land and with the human realm and that he seems to be this um bridge between and and to be misunderstood or to cast out for so long i mean that's part of what i pick up on in this piece yeah, and I think um, yeah, I think there's something also in that connection that he embodies, perhaps with earth energies, with eros, with you know um, that wildness. It's about a sinking down as well, and I think that was part of why I drew him on his knees. You know, he's kind of on his knees, almost as if he's kind of at the end of a party. It's been a wild night and everything, but he's also on his knees, sort of sinking into his tenderness and openness and that place that needs that he needs to be in to make that connection or to be that connection. Does that make sense? Yeah. And now what do you, what is the power of this? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if iconography is the right 
word for it, right? But I mean, I I didn't grow up in a religious sort of directly religious household with certain iconography around. Uh, it was initially Catholic and then sort of more, you know, Unitarian in a sense. And so I'm I'm less aware, but I understand that there is like deep traditions in, in some of these religions around the power of iconography, you know, lionizing saints and things like that. And so for me, that th- this has a certain aura of it as well. Like I feel if, you know, I, I have, like I said, I've had this print now since you sent it. Um, and I've essentially been, it's been in my office here and I've been like slowly approaching it over time. And you know, I've even brought up, I have a frame for it now, but I haven't framed it yet. Like it's not, and it's not just, you know, uh, pushing it off. It's actually being like, this is something, this is, there, there's a conjuring power here for me to, to put this one on the wall and to be having present with me. Like, I understand it's not a sort of, it's not a backdrop, you know, of like, oh, this is a nice print that's just hovering there. It's like, no, 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 this is actually, your, you're asking him to be with you. You're asking to, to be in relationship with this one. And so I wonder for you now, you've also, um, uh, conjured many of these gods and goddesses and mythic figures. And, and so there's something about this conduit to these beings that want to be in the world. That is sort of what I'm picking up on. And yeah, I'd love for you to speak to that. Yes. I mean, I'm so glad that, um, you're feeling it that way and receiving it that way because I never set out to do that intentionally with these pieces, but that's kind of how they've been received. And that's what I'm feeling from people. People started feeding back to me about, you know, things that were going on in their houses or their homes or their lives since these prints came to them. And first of all, that really surprised me. You know, I had, I didn't really kind of consider that at all. Um, but then the more I started hearing about it and the more I heard these positive aspects that people were feeling, I started to really then work with that consciously. Like, okay, that's a really interesting thing. You know, let's kind of see if we can do more of that if these things are actually helping people or supporting people or you know, creating openings or possibilities in people's lives, then that's a great thing. Let's have more of that, right? (laughs) And so, yeah, I started consciously doing that with the drawings then and, you know, making a a lot of um, ritual and ceremony around the creation of them more and more so, you know, so that half my day really of a drawing day is about making propitiations to the actual gods and inviting them and kind of calling them forth to, to embody the images and to go forth out into the world and to touch people in the ways that people need to be touched. Um, so it feels like a circular kind of process. You know, the more the more I do that, the more potent the images get and the more they seem to then affect or have a positive impact on the people whose places they're going to. And I'm still kind of, you know, curious and, and humbled about that. It seems like, you know, slightly... Um, amazing unusual for me so I'm, I'm curious about the whole process myself but um i'm just going by what i'm what i'm finding myself and what i'm finding in my own place because now i have this room that i work in which has got you know quite a few of the originals hung around it which also happens to be the room that i do my body work i still do some body work with a few clients i've had for a long time and now my body work clients come to this room with all of these gods and goddesses surrounding them in this place where I actually do the work and where I do the ritual and do the propitiations. And, you know, my, my body work sessions have become really powerful lately and clients have commented on that too. So I don't know what's going on, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to say too that, you know, some of the the hangover, I think, of a psychological understanding of the world is that 
that there's a sort of interiorization right of of all of these beings and and they're actually not granted a presence outside of the interior world of of the human right and and that's a sort of a deep uh tragedy or distortion actually that the the collapse of the mythic imagination into simply an internal you know what what is only seen as you know feelings about things or or related to oneself is very different than the idea that they're actually existent outside of human endeavor and that you know they show up through us and so there's some leap of i wouldn't call it logic even but some maybe it's a faith to be willing to proceed as if they are you know quote real again going back to that sense of it and so yeah there's something i, I wonder how you might invite in the listener i understand as well there was a residential retreat that you're you're putting on um called conjuring the mythic and so there seems to be some sense that there's a there's a way to uh to court as you say to to invite the mythic and i'm what might you offer to the listener as well as some ways in which to to incorporate that into their lives yeah so i think i think that the main the main thing that i want to speak to is about this relational aspect of working with the gods and you know it is really about building relations with them it's like making a new friend and you know you don't just suddenly become best friends with them after one day it's like this constant working with them and showing up and you know bringing them gifts and saying good things to them and you know offering yourself you're offering your space and your energy and your time to, your devotion essentially to this other being and I find that the you know the more we do that, then as just as in you know everyday ordinary relationships, then hey, guess what? Then we get more attention from the other person who we're working with, right? So I think for me that's been the biggest thing. It's kind of paying attention to these connections and feeding them in a way. And then even now, you know, even when the drawings are done and complete and they're hanging on my wall, still feeding them, you know, still bringing them little, you know, I still bring wine for my Dionysus drawing. I still put some grapes there now and again. I still say the prayer to him now and again. It's like, it feels very much like just ordinary relationships that I would have with my, you know, friends around about here, but they're also just these gods. And I guess the only way, you know, to if we kind of suspend our rational minds for a moment, the only way that we know that any of these things have any effect or power is whether we feel it in our lives. We feel the benefits of it in our lives. Um, so if anybody's skeptical about it, I would just say, well, try it and see what happens, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Um, I highly recommend that the listener go check out the rest of your work online and just um, immerse yourself in the richness of the beauty there and order a print or two and and the ones that call to you and, and invite them in. And like you said, develop a reciprocal relationship and be aware and awares, I suppose, of what might be, how that might show up in your life. And Red, I would just appreciate your time here and our conversation and dip into your process and that you uh, allowed this one who's now in my office and I'll be working with in times to come. And uh, yeah, I just want to deeply thank you for that. Mm. I look forward to seeing um, the frame and the kind of space that they end up. I always love it when people send me pictures afterwards of like where they ended up and, you know, how they, how they display them and what they give to them. So please send me yours when you've done yours too. <laughs> mm, will do. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Mythic Masculine Podcast. Be sure to check out all the other episodes, either on your favorite podcast platform or head to themythicmasculine.com to learn more.